Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy, or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> hello, obsessives, and hello, Heidi. Hello, obsessives. Hello, Becky. How are you today? I'm doing good. Possibly a little bit better than you because for those of us who are in Australia will know that Melbourne, where you live, is in quarantine again. Yes. I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Uh, Victoria, the state of Victoria. Oh, is the whole Victoria shut down? Is in... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, maybe it's maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just confused. Possibly, and you have every right. To We're be all confused because it's all very confusing and dark <laughs> and strange and weird. How it are you is. coping with it all? Oh, look! When the second lockdown was announced, and when it started on Wednesday, do you know I felt okay. I felt really in control, but I'm going to be mm. honest. Today was a really hard. Yeah, day. I'm sorry. I didn't sleep last night and then I slept during the day. I had horrific nightmares that I I couldn't wake up from. They kept pushing me back down. Um, you know, I've only just started feeling a little bit human. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's the sort of day that a lot of people have been having. Lately. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of it on Twitter. A lot of people. It, yeah. It's harder the second time around. Yeah, I think it is. so. But it's what it is and hopefully it will keep people safe and flatten that curve again. Yes. And hopefully more people out there will wear a mask. That would be great. That would be really good to Mm. see. There seems to be very, you know, a common thing in America, but it's not in Australia and I wish it was. Yeah, so do I. Yes. But one of the good things, well, if there can be anything good from a pandemic and you being locked inside your house, sorry, not to make yeah. light of that, but one of the silver linings is that you have a lot more time for researching podcasts. Yes, but I also have a lot more time for looking up really useless, petty, <laughs> superficial things that don't make me think so hard. Yeah, we're good at that. Yeah, and talking about superficial yeah. things, how's your mate? Oh, come <laughs> Please. Did you know what? That was like three hours aberration out of my life and it's going to haunt me forever, isn't yeah. it? You're totally. never going to let me forget that, are you? Never going to You know that Netflix that. still, rec- every time I turn on Netflix, still recommends it to me. I actually have to go, no, no, I'm not going down that path again. It- Netflix is trolling. Me. It is. I can't promise if we don't go on a second shutdown that I won't put it on. But you know, for the moment, I'm <laughs> resisting. Okay. So you are done. How are you at with your 90 day fiance obsession? I'm done. I'm over. You're done. It. I'm over Good. it. You needed it. I was just completely engrossed in it, and now I don't need it anymore. So whatever it was I needed from that show. 
it's, don't need it. It's anymore. like a vitamin. Your body was, your mind was craving something particular. It filled the need. It's done. Look, I think, um, you know, at the very beginning of this, with that first lockdown, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to read so many books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the problem is books make you think, they make you mm-hmm. feel, and there are some days when you just don't want to think or feel when, you, when you're in this situation. Yeah. So, um, Dark you know, times. Make you want to, dark yeah. Times. So dark times yeah. possibly make you want to go for the trivial and the superficial. Yeah, perhaps. I do you know what I'm? I have been thinking about a lot about reality TV yeah. and internet drama, and if that's possibly what draws us mm. to these things, because I mean they're not new. No. No. You know, people people think that reality TV is a new thing. And, I mean, you know, it is a new thing in terms of it being on television, but reality drama isn't. And even before TV, people found a way to watch real-life drama and not just by spying on their neighbours either. <laughs> now, I was thinking about this when delving into this week's topic yes so for everyone out there Heidi what is this week's topic dance marathons now that sounds like fun doesn't it (laughs) it does sound like fun but but you know us and we never get obsessed (laughs) with fun things no, we don't. Weird, creepy, scary stuff, but not fun in a conventional sense, no. Especially not the dance marathons of the American Dust Bowl mm-hmm. years. And they're the ones that we're focusing on today. So I first became interested in this topic through the Horace McCroy novel, They Shoot Horses, don't they? Yeah, so I've never actually read the novel, I'm ashamed to say, but I have seen the movie with Jane Fonda. Now, I've never seen the movie. It's quite dreary. Yeah, well, the book is is dreary. And, I mean, it's a great Mm -hmm. book. It's it's a fabulous book, actually. But, yes, it is dreary, um, as you can tell from the title. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when when I was reading this book and – just just to note, Horace McCroy um, actually worked as a bouncer during this era. And so um, this novel was based on what he saw no. at his places of work. I did so, not know that. You know, this, yeah. So what makes the book and, and the movie even more haunting is that it's based on what he actually yeah. saw. So, you know, it's, it's not... Um, you know, it's not something out of dark imagination. Um, no. And look, when I first read that book, I had to keep going on Google to see how much of this was real. Oh, and very real. Have it, you seen the YouTube videos? Yes. Oh, my God. I can't bear them. I cannot bear them. Yes. Absolutely. And and if, if um, and people are probably wondering what we're talking yes, about. Yes, sorry. They're going dance marathons? Dark? What are they talking about? <laughs> it's not as pretty as you may think. Before we go any further, perhaps, Heidi, you could set the scene for us. All right. 
Yep, I will certainly do that. Okay, close your eyes and I'm going to describe a scene that I want you to imagine. I'd like you to imagine that you're sitting in a gymnasium in the 1930s. Imagine the type of gymnasium you see in American high school movies. The bleachers are crammed with well-dressed people, most of them fanning themselves and sipping icy bottles of soda pop from a straw. It's hot and sticky and the smell of sweat is almost nauseating. A phonograph machine plays a jaunty dance record. The band packed up their instruments and went home over an hour ago. And the couples on the floor move around like sleepwalkers. There are about 30 couples left on the dance floor. Yesterday, there were nearly 40. They're not so much dancing as they are shuffling. Some are holding up a sleeping partner, dragging them across the floor like a grave robber taking a corpse. <laughs> Most are staring straight ahead with glassy eyes. Some are weeping quietly on their partner's shoulder. Some are looking longingly at the open dormitory of cots or the table of food that stands to the right of the dance floor. There are spots of blood on the floor from blisters that have burst. Before long, the spots become smears that become red shoe prints as the couples stagger round and around to the music hair and clothes damp and limp with sweat. The MC is still bright and loud and he talks about the couples as though they are characters from a radio drama. The returned soldier and his sweetheart, the aspiring actress and her fiance, the two farm kids who need money to get married. Everyone in the audience has their favorite couple and they might even throw a handful of silver coins in their direction for encouragement. One of the women is clearly hallucinating. One hand is reaching for something beyond her partner's shoulder, like she's trying to pick an apple from a tree. Her partner pulls her over to the table where he makes her nibble on a sandwich, both of them still standing, their feet always moving. There is a board above their heads with giant numbers that click down as the minutes pass. They have been dancing for over 500 oh, hours. Oh my God. And started the marathon three weeks ago. Suddenly, the audience starts to roar. A man had fallen asleep against his partner and she, unable to hold his weight, crashes both of them to the floor. The surrounding couples ignore them and continue swaying around them until the nurses come to drag them out of the way. The crowd is ecstatic. This is the best entertainment they could get for 25 cents. Now, this is not the scene from a dystopian book or a movie. This is quite real. Dance marathons yes. started quite innocently in the 1920s when there was a mania for breaking world records. 
A dancer called Alma Cummings danced for 27 hours straight in a Manhattan ballroom, starting a trend of marathon dancing around the young flappers of America. Soon enough, dance halls and night spots started to advertise endurance dancing competitions. Only these events had a grim edge. Promoters targeted young people from impoverished rural towns, many of whom were struggling to hold onto their livelihoods and enticed them in with really large cash prizes. Admission was cheap, but the audiences were large and many would return several times over the days and weeks of the marathon. The dancers were required to be constantly moving except for a 15 minute break each hour food was provided which had to be eaten while dancing and nurses were on standby to bandage feet when the dancers were on a break once the dancers stopped moving or their knees touched the floor they were disqualified now dance marathons were not without controversy at the time a man named Homer Morehouse literally danced himself to death, collapsing and dying on the dance floor after competing for 87 hours. In 1928, a woman in Seattle attempted suicide after dancing for 19 days straight, prompting a ban on dance marathons in that particular city. Then the 1930s and the financial disasters of that decade arrived. It wasn't only the rural towns of America that were experiencing hard times. Many of the city folk had fallen into sudden poverty and the threat of homelessness and starvation opened up opportunities for event promoters. Hungry and hopeless, people lined up to compete, tempted not only by the cash prize, but by the promise of food and the temporary shelter of the dance hall. Brutal economic circumstances led to more brutality in entertainment. There was an almost sadistic pleasure in watching desperate people fight to survive. I don't understand that. Yeah. The rules changed and break times became shorter in the later weeks of the competition. Some venues even made away with breaks altogether in the final 52 hours. Placed in full view of the audience so that spectators could witness the few minutes of sleep the contestants could get at a time. Men who couldn't wake up were given the indignity of being dumped into a bath of ice water and women were sometimes slapped. Bathroom visits had to be taken during those breaks and these were the only seconds of privacy the dancers were allowed. The audience witnessed emotional breakdowns, tears of sleep deprivation and fights between the exhausted couples. Dancers would sometimes suffer from hallucinations and mania. And if this wasn't enough drama, the promoters could always arrange more. See, this is where it gets like reality TV, I think. 
So reality TV always seems to be a disturbing modern invention, heavy manipulated to gain viewers and always touching on the distasteful and the ghoulish. We all have this secret guilty oh, discomfort and pleasure at watching, into, it, it, observing people's lives. Mm. Yeah, it, it, ghoulish. So this, this, yeah. this basically was the reality TV of the Great Depression, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And they used all the same techniques as they do now in reality TV to basically script a situation. So the promoters sometimes hired professional dancers to get in there and stir things up. These dancers were paid to take on character roles, villains. They'd annoy the other couples or start a fight. Then the contestants kind of learned from this. They started staging little dramas of their own. Maybe one couple would pretend to have a rivalry with another couple, or there might be a fake marriage proposal. <laughs> it didn't just entertain the audience. It kept the dancers awake and stopped them from thinking about their exhaustion and their bleeding feet. Promoters also hooked the audience in with reality TV tradition of the sob story. Mm. The MC would relate the tragic life stories of the contestants, some true, some not, in an attempt to heighten the stakes and create sympathetic characters. Some lucky couples even got sponsorships and got given new clothes that sported the company logo of their sponsor. You know, the whole thing was so unfathomably cruel and exploitive, really, and in the context of desperate times, evil. Well, I mean, reality TV can be pretty cruel as well. True. Yeah, it's that same thrill of watching people fall, wanting to feel superior. And look, we all know that there are producers that are crafting a story arc behind the scenes, but it's almost like we don't care. You know, I think it's the creepy, deeper look, you know, a voyeuristic look into someone else's life and suffering. So we all hear news stories that are horrifying. And instead of just leaving them, you know, at that, I mean, I do this. I don't know about you. I know I know you do as well. Of course we do. <laughs> Instead of just leaving yeah, we, we both, we do, both do I think everyone does it. We, we'll go and try and find yeah. the perpetrator's Facebook page or find internet backstories to add to that need to know more and more about them, even these really tragic, you know, horrific cases. I mean, I get ashamed of myself, mm. I know, when I get obsessed about living people's lives or their discomfort or their suffering, but I do. Um, so you and I yeah. have recently gotten a bit obsessive about a particular um, social influencer by the name of Micah Stalfer. Yes. And, it's a bit, and if, yeah. yeah, if anyone out there doesn't know who Micah Stalfer mm. is, please don't, don't Google her Don't name. do it. Don't do it. You will lose Be your life. Because it's a, <laughs> it, it, it is a really, really dark rabbit hole to go uh, down. Yeah. So. So, you know, basically she's a YouTuber. She got famous when she adopted uh, a child from China who, who has um, some, some uh, autism, I think. And uh, she recently 
rehomed him. I know that's a terrible word. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, there's been a huge, huge backlash on the internet and she's basically become, um, basically become the villain of the internet at the moment. At the moment, yeah, yeah, absolutely, she has. So, and, and the entire internet is delving deeper and deeper into this. Ironically, taking away more and more agency away from the child in, in our concern for the child. You know, we are we are trying to delve deeper and deeper into it. Um, with this weird ghoulish you know, need to know more and somehow the suffering mm-hmm. of this child has taken a back step to us wanting to know more about the suffering of the child, which adds to the suffering of the child. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. see, and you know, that's the internet and television which gives us a kind of comfortable distance from the suffering and the lives we're intruding into but I actually in thinking about the dance marathons wonder at the disconnect that made people sit there and within almost breathing space be able to watch other people suffering you know before them and clearly they were suffering and that's why people were there to watch that suffering they weren't there to watch a dance competition they were there to enjoy the misery of others and it's sick and maybe it's some kind of weird carry on from you know the freak shows mm. well what i find quite interesting is that the people most of the people in the audience weren't rich themselves yeah. i mean remember remember that this entertainment only cost 25 cents which was very, very cheap, and they could stay for as long as they wanted. Um, so, you know what? It's it's kind of like when people now criticise people on unemployment benefits, and they are, yeah. and the people, and the people who are being critical might be in really insecure employment. They are unemployed themselves, Heidi. And that does my head. Yes. I think it creates a kind of distance from. So there's this very negative uh, narrative around people who are unemployed in our country, and if you can sort of separate yourself from that, you are not one of them. You're, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that that is absolutely what I'm thinking because. You know, you might be unemployed next week. You might be facing homelessness next week. But right now, tonight, you have 25 cents and you can watch people who are in a position that you're not in right now. And there there might be some kind of sick comfort in that. I never thought of that. That's actually kind of disturbing. That there is... I sort of had a very negative judgmental view of those who watched it, but that's a very interesting uh, insight and I think you're onto something there. Yeah, it might be it might be the the way we cope with our own darkness. For instance, you know, you brought up the topic of Mike Estelfa and what I find is that a lot of people, probably us as probably including the two of us, are projecting a lot of things onto her like you know it you know she represents anyone who made us feel abandoned she represents anyone who made us feel unloved she represents uh that person at work who 
uh, was a bully, but then cried and made you look like a bully. Yeah, you know she she does she is a very convenient um, kind of fill in for all of those things that we've experienced. So I don't know. It it might be something like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's really depressing to know that, you know, we had the freak show, well, many, many horrible instances in history from, you know, the bear baiting to, to and the, you know, oh my God, the gladiators. And we just, we just had this historical, perpetual societal need to watch other people suffer. And it's, and it's disturbing to know that we're still kind of doing it. <laughs> Do you know what? We are doing it, but I think we're doing it with more self-awareness. Does that make it much better, though? That's That, to me, is like left-wing angst. Yes, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm still racist, but I'm, I'm very woke about being racist, so that's okay kind of attitude. Does that make you know, sense? <laughs> you might have a point there. I don't you know. Might have a point I don't there. know. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about... Uh, you know the voyeurism but is that going to stop no. us from from reading up on these internet no, dramas of course we're, and, and, no of course not and, no. and you and I will literally message each other in the middle of the night no wonder we don't sleep very well either <laughs> to say oh my god there's a micro update get on here now you know? <laughs> and I don't know about you but I I mean I probably shouldn't admit this in the whole, <laughs> in the podcast but I literally the other day when you did it to me I ran to the toilet at work for three minutes and quickly caught up on the news that's not good that's not healthy that's not healthy. no that's actually we've paid our watch. 25 cents I to sit think... in the auditorium as well you know <laughs> we all do and if it's not internet drama, if it's not reality TV, we're going to be listening to the neighbours yeah. arguing and then running over to the other neighbours and saying, Jim and Cheryl are on the rocks. <laughs> Pass it on. Oh, you know, we... Human beings are horrible. You know, humans are going to human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really a worry. Well, so... Yeah. The dance marathon craze couldn't last forever. Some groups were critical of the sadistic nature of events, like some certain church groups were worried about the morality of the marathons. So not morality in the terms of human rights, mind you, more the potential immorality of dance couples slumped against each other in public. (gasps) Naughty. 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 You know, don't, they don't so much care about the human rights violations. Just, you know, don't, don't be naughty. Unscrupulous yeah. promoters sometimes left rural towns before paying the winners and people were getting angry about their exploitation. Then there was the attack on Pearl Harbour. Many of the young men in America left to become soldiers in World War Two, and the young women kept the country running while they were gone. Dance marathons just disappeared so how long do you think the longest dance marathon oh i think the longest one i've seen was four months six months oh my god half a year that's so sick that's and can you imagine if you were in one of those rural towns and you put yourself through that, and then the promoters did a runner. Well, that's and you sort of the theme of no um, prize money. You know, do they shoot horses? Really? 
There's no yeah. win. There is no win. Yeah. And that that's what did my head particularly about they shoot horses. And I'm sorry I didn't do a trigger. Um, I'm sorry I didn't do a spoiler alert at the beginning of this. But it's that, that hopelessness, that hopelessness that even if you torture yes. and debase yourself, you cannot get ahead if you are poor. They won't let you. Yes. They won't let you. Society won't let you. Yes. Oh, awful, awful, awful. And, I mean, I... I've only known a little bit about the dance marathons and very much to the peripheral of my interest in the dust bowls um, of the 1930s. And just knowing what I know about what those rural people went through and to add this to it as well, (laughs) oh, it really quite depressing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. On that note, it's Saturday night. None of us are going out no. dancing. Well, here in Melbourne, we're certainly not <laughs> going be out honest, dancing. Or at did least... you before the quarantine? <laughs> Only very occasionally. <laughs> I didn't. My life sort of didn't change in many ways with quarantine. It was like, oh, okay, so everyone stays on Friday night with me. Okay. Do you know what? I cannot... I cannot deal with how terrible it must be for non-loners. Yeah. Yeah, they must be they dying. They must be. There's something to be said to be an introvert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, we will take our little introvert selves off and we might turn some music on and, and have our own... One person, dance yeah, and then get on YouTube and obsess over you know whatever social influence that we're currently you know interested in decimating between each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, you can find us as Obsession Podcast. Don't be scared to give us a lovely five star. Come on, we need validation too. Yeah, we do. Or, you know, recommend us to a friend and make us feel seen and understood. (laughs) Throw us 25 cents on the the dance floor. Please. (laughs) You take care, Heidi. Take care, Obsessives. You take care too. See you, Obsessives. (laughs) 